So, Brett, I just wanted to share something with all the listeners. Oh, no, don't. Oh, actually, they can't see it anyway. So no, they can't. <laughs> yeah, oh, thanks, Brett. But you, you know, all, all your years in the, in the rock and music industry in Australia, um, you've come across some very interesting characters, yeah? Sure have, George. Lots. Lots. And, you know, you even, even one of your band members, uh, Peter Travis, who we interviewed recently, yep. uh, he's the walking encyclopedia on the history of... All things, all things music, 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 fashion, music, art, music, pop. Right, right. So what I wanted to tell tell our listeners is that uh, we we're we're about ready to launch a sideline float your boat podcast, which is float your boat rocks, so rocks, 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 rocks. <laughs> so what's what's going to be about? Well, it, it, it's going to be about the behind the scenes of music, not just interviews with with band members or singers or famous people. Because mm, they've been done to death. Yeah, we, we want to get right, right behind the scenes to the roots of music, fashion, art, you know, subcultures, anything to do with music. I think that's, uh, that's quite exciting, certainly for, for someone who listens to a lot of music, um, knowing the history and the background and, and all the things that went with it uh, would be very exciting. So if you love Float Your Boat, you're going to love Float Your Boat. Rocks. Rocks, rocks, rocks. Welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Hey, hey Brett, do you watch much TV? I do, as you know. Have you ever watched that series um, called Spartacus? I haven't. You haven't? No, but I, but because we're doing this interview with Vashti, I did take time out to go and have a, have a little look at it. Um, yeah, right. Well, um, in season one, uh, the, the character that carried that, 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 uh, that show was actually a, a guy called Andy Whitfield. And uh, he was uh, quite an extraordinary actor, in the context of that series. Good-looking fella. Good-looking bloke, very fit. And he was just ready to crack the big time when, um, when in fact, uh, he was diagnosed with uh, uh, cancer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. unfortunately, he died in 2011. But through that journey, uh, his wife, Vashti, um, kept a, a, a doco journal, so to speak. It was, she turned it into a documentary called Be Here Be Now. Here, Be Here Now, the Andrew Whitfield story, which you can... Get online. Yes, yes, I tell you, I I watched it, and um, there was more than one occasion during the doco that I teared up. I mm. thought it was it's such, it was such a tragic tale. 
Um, Tragic for anyone. Yeah, for anyone. I mean, but he was a man that was on the verge of signing a six-year deal and and hitting the big time in Hollywood. And you know, the after ver- years of struggle as an after, actor, after lots of years of struggling, and um, literally the next day diagnosed with having cancer, and uh, he unfortunately didn't make it, even though apparently. With this particular form of cancer, 80% of people do make it through okay, unscathed. Um, he was one of the unfortunate 20%, which, uh, which I think is something that, you know, personally, uh, I think Vashti would have, um, uh, she would have been asked a million questions around that time in her life. I thought today we should um, not talk too mm. much about that and find out about Vashti and her life yes. and um, what floats her boat. Absolutely. Which is what we're all about, George. Absolutely. So shall we get her in? Shall we tell a joke now? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I haven't got one, sorry. Oh, neither do I. But I'm sure it'll come <laughs> up during the interview. No doubt. We better we better be on form today. You're right. On okay. our best behaviour. That's right. That's right. Mother okay. Superior's watching. Let's okay. go get her. Listeners, here's <laughs> Float Your Boat. So, welcome. Uh, Oh, welcome, welcome to welcome. our humble little studio. Vashti. Thank you for having me. No, no, thank you for coming, that's for sure. Vashti Whit- Whitfield, what was your maiden name? I'm not going to discuss that. Oh, okay. When I said to you, you could ask me absolutely <laughs> everything. There you go, she's kind of botched that already. <laughs> um, when you get to know me as a very special friend, right. that comes out and it's very good... Um, it's hilarious. When you get to know me and you realise what my maiden name was, it's anything but... Oh, okay. So that that will remain a secret. That's a, that's photo- a bit of a mystery. That's it's great. Okay. The Someone photo you sent for a view as a child. Mm. Where was that taken? Um, let me just rack my brains to remember which photograph I sent you. Am I with a cow? Am no, I travelling? Sitting there, and and there was. Ah, oh, yes, yeah. yeah. So that's at the foothills of the Himalayas. So when I was very. Um, young, little, sort of around four-ish, my amazing mum, who was a real pioneer of her time, decided for various different personal reasons to jump in a camper van, which I think you guys call a combi van, and drive across land from the UK to India. Very ambitious. Not necessarily ambitious, more about just going on an adventure into the unknown and not wanting to kind of bring up two small, tiny children in the middle of the Welsh countryside and go to a place where there was a little bit more um, cultural diversity. So the image you're talking about is of me um, with my two friends. Mm. Of course, I didn't speak their language um, and I'm in the most remarkable environment and landscape having the best time ever, which is very much how I grew up in terms of like exploring different cultures and and creating relationships without um you know a common mother tongue but a whole different way of communicating and relating it looked it was such a great photo it looked like it had been taken by a professional photographer that's what i thought you know is that a photo shoot or no no i mean you the wonderful thing about the world is if you go out into it there is so much color Mm. and so much beauty that you really just need to aim and 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 snap and and that's what you get and i think what you're talking about is so vivid because i in all of those photos photos and that journey i had these my sister and i had these blazing green eyes and really brown skin from being in the sun and then white platinum blonde hair Mm. Mm. alongside my gorgeous friends from you know nepal who were the polar opposites so you just see that incredible contrast Yeah. yeah great photo and were you having 
were you having you and your sister having your hair stroked constantly because I think it's a, a form of good luck to to run your hands through a, a blonde haired child. Yeah. Do you know, in terms of where we were um, around then, because remember this is, I'm really old, this is back in the 70s when I was little. <laughs> we're older. We're all, yeah. But, <laughs> so you know, okay, let's, let's be clear. I'll take that back. I was, I was a little younger than I am now. Um, and that was of a time that there weren't lots and lots and lots and lots of backpackers and travellers. We were of an absolute mm. minority. So, um, it was actually the opposite. People were a little bit in kind of in awe and wonder of my sister and I because we really did like look like two little aliens. So people would kind of <laughs> cluster around us and crowd around us and kind of point and look and laugh in a kind of sweet way mm. as opposed to going closer and, and stroking our hair. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested. You, you, I mean, you come from Wales originally. Your parents were apparently hippies. Were they? Well, uh, I mean, you have the name Vashti. Yes, that's not a typical Welsh name, I'd say. Definitely not Welsh. You're very, very astute there. Thank you. Very I much. like you. I like you for how sharp ball. you are. Um, and it's round. <laughs> Thanks. I I think again talking about the different era. My parents were both born in the 40s. You know, in a time for my mum who was born of Austrian heritage, mm. half Jewish, where everyone had escaped war, and so she grew up um, being sort of chaperoned with a context of safety. My dad left home really early to get away from a very repressed, um, very poor upbringing, and so when you say they were hippies. What they both were were two people who came together with a desire to not live a repressed life. And at that time, it was either kind of do the same old, go out, get the same old job, try and buy a house, try and do all the same old stuff. And having what was a very repressed childhood, they both wanted something else. They wanted to try something else. So being a hippie in your description of the terms was about exploring something wider about self-expression about travel about not following suit and so that's where they you know that's where they followed the hippie trail which was very unique at that time and where Vashti your other point where Vashti comes from I'll tell you a little story about Vashti it depends how um Jewish you are in terms of your um, understanding of history and where it comes from. But Vashti, my mum gave me the name Vashti. It was after the Book of Esther, which is, um, oh. you know, prior yep. the Bible. Yep. And Vashti, supposedly, depending on which story you want to listen to, was the first woman in biblical history to say no to a man. So she was apparently very beautiful and her husband wanted her to take off her clothes to him and she said no. And from that point forward, there's, there's varying different outcomes to poor old Vashti. But my mum named me Vashti in an alignment with wanting me to be a passionate, strong-willed woman. I didn't quite make it on the not saying no to taking off my clothes day through my teeth. <laughs> I haven't quite mastered that I'm one yet. About that. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be very lonely at the moment. You have two wonderful kids at home I keeping do. you lots of company. Um, but so did they impart their kind of values or yearnings mm. on their children did you and your sister inherit the the lust for travel the wanderlust, the wanderlust the, for, for traveling going pushing boundaries going into the unknown being different i think every well i don't think i know that you know every brain is completely different there are no two brains the same there are no two human beings the same and so what was my sisters and my experience of our upbringing are two completely different experiences right. mm. traveling through afghanistan 
um, Iran when the revolution first broke out in the late 70s, where you're literally face to face with the tank and your life is at threat, meant different things to my sister and I, me being two years older than her. And so we both have very different experience of our travels. Me, the forever kind of where else, what's next, and being fearless about walking into any situation from... um, holding hands with fear and sort of saying goodbye to my husband to going, okay, it's time for a new country, a new chapter. That's what I got from my experience. And my sister is the complete opposite. Now, whether that's to do with the values or whether that's to do with how we experience our parents' unique, quite conflicting relationship, you know, we could talk for hours about. But we both have very different lives according to the experience that we both shared that's very similar. It's very interesting that, I mean, that's the same dynamic that my sister and I share. Um, the upbringing that we had, according to her, was too risky, mm. too too out there and, mm. and involved, um, uh, you know, not knowing, mm. not being certain what the next day would bring. So she went the other way. Mm. And yet, yet we had the same stimuli affecting us daily. Right, right yeah. It's funny that, isn't it, how it all panned out. Well, that's how it is. I mean, the nature of the work I do these days and even um, in terms of sharing the story that's unfolded in my own life over the last couple of years, everyone experiences it differently. Of course. And, you know, there's no two people alike. So it's very important to kind of harness your own experience and, and, and you know, live it to the fullest because you're forever being pigeonholed, you know. And I think it's really interesting because... I'm really grateful for the upbringing I had, but it wasn't without multiple complications, tensions, um, fighting, all sorts of things externally with my parents, all of that. And there are many things that we would like differently. And in the same breath, it gave me this absolute capacity to go for anything and everything. And I look at my sister and I, I... I see a very different experience. And it's so we have to be very mindful to just kind of value our own and let everybody live their own experiences. So was it because of that wanderlust that you have that you ended up in Australia? Or how did you... So I'm going to challenge you on that. It's not wanderlust I have, it's life lust. Okay. It's not okay. about yeah. travelling and countries and cultures. Yeah. <clears throat> you just yeah. like the lust part, didn't you, really? Yeah. Yeah, I got that. Um <laughs> No, it's it, it's about what 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 is there to be experienced in life. So yeah. when an opportunity comes up, instead of going, will it work? Can it work? Is it safe? It's like you're there. There's a yeah, and there's sometimes there's a danger of diving in too fast and not checking there's any water in the pool, mm, mm. Um, or there's a bunch of sharks. Yeah. But there's that that overwhelming and I kind of um, critical pathway that I always follow, which is w- what's possible here. Right, right. So Australia, what was the possibility there? Well, Australia, so I have two lifelong buddies, many lifelong buddies, but two of my very, very, very dear friends who I lived with at my, in my first degree who were once a couple, um, they both went on a trip and, and came to Australia, separated along the way, but both ended up coming here to Sydney. Right. And I was doing some work in New York and one of these friends, a, a brilliant Manchester 
guy called Mark was in New York at exactly the same time. And we were sitting in a bar in Soho back in the 90s. And I just met Andy, this new yep. beautiful man in my life who was back at, in London. Yep. And I was sitting in a bar drinking too many dirty martinis. And um, <laughs> Mark said to me, oh, my God, Vashti, I've just come back from Sydney in Australia. It's like absolutely fucking brilliant. You can be <laughs> you can be at beach in morning running in your kini and then in office and then back at beach again. It's like it's you. No more running next to the canal with rapists. Get to Sydney. Because <laughs> I, you'd be, you know, because I'm a real you'd be lover. you the rapists. Well, I mean, yeah, that's right. But but I would, I mean, it really was. I used to run the canal in, you know, east, north London. It was dodgy, and, and it was dark. And it wasn't when the fitness well-being era had begun. Yeah, right, it was, right. I was the lone loon running. Um, anyway, so I went out the next morning. And I was, it was the last day in New York and I was wandering around and I went to this little market, one of those gorgeous flea markets in New York. And I'm a book junkie. I collect books. And there was this lovely store with this pile of books. And I kind of walked over and right on the top was this huge, you know, the size that doesn't fit on your bookshelves, giant technicolor book. And I kid you not, it said Australia across the top of it. And it was this amazing reverse shot of somebody diving into the water, but they'd snap them kind of just coming out, as it were. And I looked through it, and it was a day, uh, it was a moment all around, in 24 hours, all around Australia. And I looked at the landscape, at lambs being born, and kind of um, Aboriginal communities, and uh, just account and surf shots, and the ocean. And I just thought, my gosh, this is this is one of those moments. Well, it's just one of those moments where there's alignment. Mm. And I bought this book and I got back and Andy and I only just got together. And I just said, make or break. What do you think about going to Australia? And he he literally kind of went and he was the opposite to me in terms of, hey, yeah, let's just go for it. And he said, do you want to go? And I said, yeah. And he said, Okay. And wow. three months later, we booked tickets. And six months later, we turned up at little Sydney airport. There you go. That's how you got here. Mm. And do you think you'll stay here? I have this philosophical standpoint, which a really wise, gorgeous man once taught me. And he said, you always have your feet on the shores of Australia because it brings you clarity, groundedness with the ocean lapping over your toes. You know that you guys know when you're down at Bondi in the morning and, and I am, you put your feet in the water and everything is clear. Yep. Head in America because it's the best and the worst of the world. It's at the forefront of yeah. creativity, thinking, technology, mm. and it's the most remarkably crazy and insane and dangerous. Mm. So be there, and then you'll have your heart in Europe and the UK, which is where I'm from, where's the history. Yeah. And, well, not just that, but there's history, the history of life and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of architecture and beauty. Mm. And so for me, when you ask me whether I'll stay in Australia, I'll always come back here to put my feet on the ground because it's where the children were born. It's where Andy and I literally rebirthed, married, and he died. Mm. Um, but, yes, I will definitely be leaving here at some point but I will always come back but yeah definitely ready for new chapters so I we George and I discussed talking about the documentary and we discussed it with you mm. and, and we weren't going to talk a lot about it but I watched the documentary after we contacted you George it was George that just thought we've got to interview this person uh, and I, I watched the documentary and it was amazing 
and um, sad and happy and all the other things in between. Mm. I wonder now that it's a few years down the track, mm. how, how are you with the documentary now? Well, I think for the nature of the audience, the documentary Be Here Now is, it's, it's, if you like, it's a legacy project. Mm. So when Andy, um, my late husband, found out that his cancer had come back, um, uh, along with kind of picking ourselves up off the floor with the shock of it, the first thing that came to Andy was we have to do something with this. Like we have to do something with the fact that the cancer is back and for whatever reason we have to let go of everything that we built together and do something purposeful with it. And so somebody asked me recently at one of the Q&As at the end of the film, you know, are you happy with how the film came out? You know, is it in alignment with what your intention was? We never had an intention of how we wanted the film to turn out. We wanted to just give back through our own experience and in that give purpose to our own experience. And so uh, it's taken, you know, nearly five years for the film to finally come out and Mm. and premiere around the world. Mm. And when I look at that film and the impact it has on anyone and everyone that experiences it in one way or another, Mm. whether it's feeling human connection, whether it's feeling heard, whether it's feeling supported, um, whether it's bringing into question whether you're really living the life you want to be living Mm. or even having you question, am I supporting this person that I love who is potentially dying in the way that is fitting of them? It seems to do so much and it's being out there in the world. Yeah. And... I, I don't know if, if it's easier or um, uh, or I've become to accept the film as a part of a really important part of mine and my children's journey. Somehow it feels like we're working very, very much in hand with each other, the film mm. and film and me and the kids in the way we're moving forwards in our lives. That's great. That's a great outcome. Well, uh, there, I mean, obviously when I, when I watched the, uh, the doco, my immediate thought was, who the hell came up with the idea to do this, to mm. film it? Mm. So obviously Andy did. That was quite... Um, Brave. Yeah. Super Because I, I, so. I kept on thinking throughout the throughout right. the whole thing, could I do that? Like, would I be able to do that? I, th- I thought, no, because I'm, I'm a bit... I would be... I don't know. I was, I was thinking about it on the way here this morning. How would I be in with a camera when I'm unwell? I mean, I get a cold and I don't want to talk to anybody. It comes from intention, though. Yeah. So that's about you protecting yourself. If you got cold and you feel unwell and it's like, you know, kind of fuck off world, Mm. go away, Mm. everybody. Mm. And you suddenly bring your mortality into that or feeling so ill that, you know, the treatment you're having that you practically want to die at times... Mm. You, of course, the natural thing and the fear of potentially dying or the fear of not knowing, you want to isolate and, and be protected. And in the same breath, that is not how Andy or myself went about life. It, it was like, this is here for a reason. And we went away and we did the treatment privately the first time mm. and it came back. And so it, for us and I guess for Andy in his commitment and both of our commitments in like sitting down and doing those like relentless video diaries or doing a, an interview with the two of us waiting for, you know, this critical news, it gave it purpose yeah. because instead of it being about you 
or about me or about him. It was like, how can we turn this around and it to be about you, the audience? How can we give back in some way? Because ultimately, everything in life really is about that connection and that sense of purpose. You know, if you yeah. don't feel, if you, you know, if you get to the end of your life and you don't feel that it's been meaningful or purposeful, it often feels like half the work I do with people is about finding purpose in your life, your work, what yeah. you do. And so, you know, you're, you, you're not alone in your opinion in terms of questioning whether you could do it. It's about the desire and what's behind that. And for Andy, which was so gorgeous in his being, was that he wanted to turn if it was going to be his own loss or his own challenging journey into something that was of value to everyone else. And, and that's very much the continuum for me. It's mm. this is this and whatever log legacy program projects you make are for the benefit of us growing as a community. I noticed, um, <clears throat> Basti, the, the title Be Here Now. Um, it was certainly it certainly came home to me watching watching the documentary about being here now very mm. important um, we as human beings we tend to forget we get embroiled in the min minutiae of life and we mm. forget that there's a purpose that we're here for and um, a lot of people try and ignore that um, but but seeing you and Andy face um, face that trial mm. um, apart from bringing out the values that you both you both held. Um, it, it certainly brought home the idea that we need to live in the moment and be the best we can possibly be in the moment. And for me, that really touched me mm. uh, because it was such a, um, you know, I, you know, it was just reminding me of something beautiful. Mm. And I noticed also that um, the title "Be Here Now" is on your tattooed on your arm mm. somewhere, and it was on Andy's as well. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Um. Well, this, I'll start at the end. The we were sitting having it was the night before, so we we got we did the kind of like, oh my god, you went from shy and I mean cri cripplingly shy engineer to becoming you know the kind of fairy tale got the Hollywood role. We're moving to L.A. Man in Hollywood. Well, yeah, he was but, hot. Gee, he was an ugly bugger, wasn't he? Really? But not just—it's <laughs> not just how he looked on the outside. What, mm. how Andy won people's hearts was that he was so authentic on the inside. Yeah. You know, I still have—I can still get hundreds of random emails from people that have just discovered the show Spartacus, the first season, who are fall in love with the essence of who they could see was behind the character, mm. and have only stumbled across the documentary Be Here Now because they were sort of rudely shocked when there was a new lead man in series two. Mm. And so we got the kind of dream. We worked really hard for that in our kind of gung-ho manifestation of this is possible. Because you know how everyone wants to tell you, like, you're never going to make it. You're never going to make yeah, it as an actor at 38. You're never going to get known as Amer in America. And you're certainly never, 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 never. And, I mean, I think I mentioned it in the documentary because of the nature of my work, which is coaching and facilitation you know I work a lot with the science-based thinking but also about you have to be open to what's possible mm. and so um to get attain Spartacus literally I was like we had all around our apartment you know we were sending each other emails saying Gee, honey it's so great that you got the part literally role-playing faux role-playing that he had had that and um so when he got that part and we got there it was like we defied the odds but then cancer came and it was like well 
you asked for an extraordinary life. So, of course, you've got cancer. Like, we yeah. can do this. You know, like, we got Spartacus. Now we get cancer. And so, if you like, as much as there were so many more emotional roller coasters with that, we kind of just shifted our perspective from here, which mm. is Spartacus, to here. Okay, this is treatment and cancer. We're going to go about this with the same openness, willingness, and learning. And then we beat it. So we were literally like, you know, doing a kind of cheerleader high kick of like, wow, aren't we? You know, there yeah, was yeah. ego there almost. Yeah. We got this. We did this. And, you know, for all the listeners that have either had cancer in their life, experienced it themselves or know someone they love, when you get given the all clear, there's always forever more moving forward just that little thread of thought of will it? And will I make it to of the course. next all clear? And, mm. and, you know, you have to work really hard not to manifest that thought into a bigger fear. So the night before we were about to get greenlit, you know, we've done, we've done the big hurrah. We were going back to shoot season two, literally. You know, Stars Network were amazing and put everything on hold. The whole set was stood down and looked like a kind of ghost town. And Andy and I went out to dinner. And the next day, we we're going to get the results back because they'd done a they had had to do a test for the insurance to check that there was nothing else. It was like a dead set. Excuse my tone of language, but he was all clear. And we went to our favorite little restaurant. We'd stayed in New Zealand, where that's where we filmed. And we were sitting down at Prego on Ponsonby Road, just Andy and I, without the little ones. And um, Andy was saying, "What if it's come back?" And I said, "You know, I've been thinking about that a lot." And the gift of this whole experience was like, well, if it has, it has. That is life. And you, you talked really beautifully a moment ago about the meaning of the documentary for you was about what it means to be in the moment. And so the essence of that conversation in the restaurant that night was, well, if it is, it is. That's mm. just us. That's our, That's what we're going to be in is that journey there. We just will we'll adapt, we'll shift and we'll deal with what that is. And I said, you know, interestingly, I've been thinking about getting another tattoo and he couldn't have one because it was kind of too late when we started filming and he didn't want to get blah, 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 blah. And then he'd been having treatment and obviously he couldn't have, a, you know, a needle when he was so vulnerable. And I said, I've been thinking about getting the tattoo be here now because that is all we've got. Like, literally, you can plan for tomorrow. You can learn from the past. But all we've got is now. And he said, fuck, I love that. And um, I'd also been uh, a girlfriend of mine had given me one of the original copies of the Ram Das book, which is Be Here Now, who yeah, you may or right. may not follow, but is, yeah. you know, one of the most phenomenal human beings that facilitates thinking in a whole different paradigm. Anyway, chitty chat chat, chocolate mousse. We looked across the road, just looking out, just talking. And across the road, above the cute little boutiques, is this like super hipster little tattoo parlor. Of course, of course. You know, which like, just manifested. Just there, happened like. to be there, but not like some like rah, like. Am I going to catch something when I go here? It was like this kind of really beautiful, cool little place. And so we just went across the road and both got be here now as a commitment and a stand and a marker on these one little bodies. You know, where you got this rapidly growing flabby old skin mm. to kind of just hold tight that moment that that is what it is and that's what we've got and that's what we're focused on. And then the next day. His fear became our reality again, and we were told that his his cancer was back, and that was the day that Be Here Now, the film, the documentary, was born. Wow. Amazing. Do you think he sensed something that night? 
no, I don't think so at no. all. I it think was just that, a what if. No, not at all. Because I think it's a what if, and you always have a what if um, when you are when you have come so close to something that you know. One of the things, and we and it's totally up to you guys where we go with this conversation. But sure. one of the things about um, the levels of intensity of experiencing Western cancer treatment in terms of chemo and radio, you know, d- depending on the degrees of it when it's extreme you do actually feel like you're on your way out so i I know plenty of people that it's not their fear of death it's the fear of going through the treatment that is so terrifying and whether they can do that yes i've had um a a number of people in my circle of friends and family who have gone through that that kind of treatment and it's um it racks the body and it and it puts you in a a not so positive mindset look Here's my stance on it, and I'm very firm about this um, because it's a very controversial subject. We also went down the route of versus, uh, various Eastern mm. philosophical treatments. Yes. Well, not just philosophical, some of the most, you know, uh, Panchakarma, which is Ayurvedic yes. treatment, which comes from 3,000 years of medicine. And there's some phenomenal doctors out there in India who deal with cancer patients all the time. And he went for a significant amount of that treatment to get his immune system up ready for more chemo. And all the top doctors there that come from some of the longest line of Ayurvedic doctors recommended that he also do chemo. They said you need to go back and do some chemo as well. Let me tell you how many Western doctors we experienced that suggested versus, you know, various Eastern like like acupuncture or like even you know positive mindset i think i could guess it's a kind of round figure (laughs) looking a little bit like an o very circular so my point is this is if we embrace wellness and healing from every angle from all different aspects we are far more likely to become well and even if we aren't we're far more likely to experience a, a richer journey exiting so after all that you, you know, went through with Andy and stuff, um, and moving forward to now, and the be here now, mm. what floats your boat now? Like you've, I mean, you've got a lot of work going on, and you're mm. really busy, and you're a single mom, and all this stuff's going on, mm. and I'm assuming there's because of the doco, there's ongoing things mm. with that. Mm. Do you have any? time for yourself and if you do what what do you do to embrace the universe well i think there's like about 15 questions in what you just said no no don't be sorry that's good it's great um so i have this philosophy that it's not work and play or you know i have my work and then i have this i really try and morph them all into one i mean obviously being a parent i have different hats that i have to wear and if we're going to talk about being here now it's you know, it's a nightmare and it's impossible to try and spread yourself too thin when you're with the kids, Mm, you know. So I have to be very diligent to say, okay, when I'm with you, I'm with you. Mm. And when I'm working on this, I'm working on this because otherwise it's just half-assed. So I have to be really diligent with my time allocation. And that included in that is, is my own time because if I don't get enough of my own space... And because of the nature of the documentary and so much of even Andy's actual death and discussing that, the traumatic stuff, that even though I don't feel traumatised when I think about it, my body does have a reaction to it. 
um, I have to be very diligent in making sure that I carve out space for myself to kind of like come back to the beginning and like reset every day. Mm. So, you know, if we we haven't done so, we will soon. I'm always down at the beach in the morning because for me, seeing a sunrise and seeing the ocean is such a great reminder that we're so pissant tiny in this giant universe and this enormous thing starts again at the beginning of every day and the waves come and they go and it's really humbling. Mm. So whatever frenetic, insane amounts of thinking and thoughts and fears and worries is going on in my head, I come there and I just feel the toe under my sand. Like the first day I found Bondi, I went, I found home. Mm. And I just get really clear about, why I'm here, what I'm here for, and what I can achieve today and what I can't. Right. And, and that's, that's how I get grounded, and that really floats my boat. But the thing that rocks my world and gives me immense purpose is by whatever creative modality is going on for me, like whether it's Be Here Now, The Legacy Project, which is turning the film into really comprehensive workshops that not only allow people to process what's going on in their life or their loss, yep. but actually give people some of the tips and tricks and tools that you know we've kind of alluded to today mm. in understanding, understanding the way you think, who you are and what you're capable of in your life and even in your death. So if it's working on that or there's two other big projects that I'm working on or writing a book, as long as I'm doing that in in the way I want to and it's giving back and I can put food on the table, that floats my boat. And now a word from our sponsors. This is about the 400th take, listeners. <laughs> this is our, this is our um, for a male sponsor, Mungrel Joes. Yes, Mungrel Joes. So, hey, Brett, what keeps you going? I'm not sure what you're implying. I don't like where your mind's going with this one, Brett, but uh, without getting personal, there are many times I need a hit, and not from a bus. What keeps me going is a steaming hot cup of coffee, and not just any coffee. Ah, you must be talking about Mungrel Joe's. Yeah, our proud sponsor. Yes, that deep, rich, tasty and fulfilling coffee that perks you up, puts lead in your pencil, makes you glisten, and puts hairs on your chest. But what does it do for men? Boom, boom. It brings out the mongrel in you. <laughs> God, seriously, folks. Seriously, folks. Mongrel <laughs> That's Jones. my line. No, That's your line. <laughs> mongrel Joe's is the best taste experience ever. It's 100% Australian. And not only is it a performance coffee, it's strong and smooth. Like me, of course, George. <laughs> it's the greatest coffee on earth. The world's greatest coffee. Is it really? <laughs> yes, it is. Jump online at mongreljoes.com.au and give it a shot. Excuse the pun. No, no, no. You didn't have to say that. Well, it's you printed it on the page. You're George. on. You're on fire, Brent. I am on. We fire. could have scratched that out. And just for our listeners to put put it put in a discount code, float your boat, and you will get a special discount on your first order. Remember that it's float your boat. One word. If you love coffee, you should try Mungrel Joe's. I'm telling you, folks, aside from this great script that George wrote. <laughs> and it was so obvious you were reading it. <laughs> yes, George, it was. <laughs> anyway, listeners, Mungrel Joe's, it's, it's the best. Thank you.
George Thank has you. all these questions here that do, we talked about before. Sorry. And you've, no, and you've t- nothing and you, to be sorry about. Uh, nothing to be sorry about, but thought leader, mm. storm rider, mm. change maker. Now, I understand the first one and the third one, but storm rider? Mm. What's your thinking behind that storm rider? I've never mm. heard that, ex- uh, that, that definition before. Mm. Well, you know, you guys talk a lot about in your description of float your boat, what makes you happy? Mm. And I'm interested in this word happy because everybody is supposed to be happy in the Western world. We're all supposed to be happy. And, you know, if we were all happy, there would not be great music in the world. You know, there would not be tortured artists cutting their ears off and painting some of the most beautiful paintings that were ever painted. And so... There is a lot about learning to leap into the storm and ride it Mm. hard. Yeah. And so for me, the whole notion of a storm rider is there will never be plain sailing. And if there is, you're looking at the same view. It's like you go down to the beach. If it's beautiful and flat every day, it's beautiful and flat every day. And so... The description and and why I like to describe myself as a facilitator of becoming a storm rider is that whatever the weather and however turbulent, we may always lose something, but there is always something to be gained in the experience and in the calm after the storm. And so for me, it's about how do you learn to ride out any storm? And that comes from your capacity to think about it differently to see it differently and to engage with it differently. You know, you're always going to get smashed against the rocks and there will be some that are lost, but there'll also be some that are found. And so that's where the term storm rider comes from is is not to always desire the calm. I mean, God, yes, we want the calm, but sometimes you've got to shake it up to clean it all out. And, you know, given the, the horrendous storms that have just been going up, you know, up the coast and some of the destruction there. Of course, we don't wish that upon anyone, but that happens in life. Storms happen. And so if we are equipped to at least experience them in a different way, then there's value to be had from them. And, I, you know, I try and teach this to my children all the time. You know, when, when there is challenge going on, when there's a storm coming, instead of being terrified by it and wanting to cower under the desk, you know, just have the strategies for understanding how to not only survive it, but actually kind of stand at the front of the ship and go, Woo-hoo. bring it on. Yeah, bring you know? it on. I remember when I was doing naturopathy, going back a few um, incarnations ago, ago. Um, I, in a counselling class, the counsellor said, uh, the teacher said, was we were talking about being in that storm, if mm. you like, and uh, I remember he described it like if you're in a pool of shit, mm. you you can't you can't you've just got to be in the pool of shit. Mm. There's no point in trying to fight against it or swim against it because you can't get out of it. So you best to sit in it and try and learn from that pool mm. of shit. I always remember him. He was a colourful teacher, but it, it's a always a colourful description. But it always but no, stuck with me, you know. Do you know, and I think the thing that really resonates for me and what you just said is that we don't like feeling pain. Mm. You know, like I had this really interesting conversation with my son's gorgeous little buddy yesterday and out of nowhere he just said, no, somebody's father had passed away and he said, I'm not afraid, he's 11, I'm not afraid of death at all I, I'm just afraid of the pain that, that it might hurt mm. and that's how we that's how we're wired to think we mm. want to avoid pain and so one of the things of dealing with the fear of losing Andy was being okay with the fear 
and just sitting in it. And when Andy did die and becoming a single parent and, you know, you can fear, will you ever find a partner? Will you have enough money to put food on? All of those things. The only way through that is to sit in it, mm. you know, like to go straight through the middle of it. If you're trying to avoid it all the time, it will come back. Mm. or you'll you'll experience it somewhere else because you don't go through the middle of it you don't get to really experience it and travel through it to the other side for sure that's for sure i i the, the happy part going back to the float your boat and us talking about finding the happy it, it, i don't think it was ever so much about that for us i think it was more about we we spend a lot of time at the bondi surf club because mm. we're members and our kids are members etc and George and I sit at the side of the club and we often talk to the old fellas and whoever wants to come yeah. and sit and talk to us and George brews coffee and oftentimes the stuff we talk about isn't happy stuff mm. but it, it is happy stuff in some ways. Yeah. It's more about our conversations are more about in line with your philosophy of being here now it's about it's about yes the storm you're in a shit storm how can you find peace with that? Mm. So happiness for us equates mm. to peace, like mm. being in a peaceful spot or peaceful frame of mind because there, are, there were many times in the last 11 years of the business that I'm in where I, didn't, I wasn't in that happy spot, mm. in that happy place in my head. I was listening to the voices in my head more than reality, mm. right? Um, so but, we were... But what you just said then is key. And so this is, you know, everything that I base the nature of my, my work around is all of... I mean, nature chucks some googlies at us. Of course it does. For sure, in terms of... It's part of life. Well, it is part part of the cycle of nature, you know, mm. in terms of thing, earthquakes, what man creates in terms of war. But going back to what you just said, usually the disharmony, and sometimes even with disease being dis-ease, it all comes from what's going on between your ears. Absolutely. You know, I was walking yesterday with a new client and he said, uh, you know, it, it, outside everything looks fine to everybody else, but in here, like, it's a disaster. I'm worried about this and I'm thinking about this and I'm worried about duh and this is going wrong and I don't know how to talk to my boss. And and it was the amount, the simple amount of the, the thoughts he was trying mm. to process. Mm. And it's it's... You can come together and chat at the surf club and you can talk about sadness, but the fact that you're all collectively sitting there, connecting with each other in the moment, yep. together, yep. there's the happiness. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. Yeah. And that that's my point. It's like you still got to go out there and make millions or change the world or run a business or have three autistic children. It doesn't mean that it's not tough out there. It's about how to get into that space in your own thinking that you can clear the debris that's not necessary to focus on mm. and bring it into the moment of what do I have here and now that is of value? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously our coffee sessions on Thursday mornings down at the club... Has... I must remember to run topless that day. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Actually, it's not a good look. <laughs> it's not impressive at all. Run nude like we used to do at the cricket years ago. Anyway, no, Maybe 10 saying... years back, not now. <laughs> yes, uh, I'll just limit myself to speedos. Thank you very much. But I was, I was saying that, uh, you know, our coffee sessions have trans, uh, transmorphed, so to mm. speak, into or morphed into this. Mm. And... What it does for me, and I can speak for Brett as well, is it actually facilitates a change of thought pattern. Mm. You know, listening to listening to you, um, you know, and your philosophy on life, 
sharing sharing moments with individuals that can put you outside of your own head, mm. that can draw you out. Um, it certainly um, can create that happy space or mm. that, you know, being at peace with what's going on. Very important. But one thing I did notice that without that human intervention, without talking to people mm. such as Brett or yourself, um, and you're locked away in your own head, it just gets worse. Mm. And that was that was a problem for me over well over many occasions in the last eleven years. But it's a form of therapy which I which I call a happy place. Mm. It's happiness. Mm. Um, it's interesting that you need human beings to facilitate all that. You can't get it off an iPhone. You can't you can't get it out of an app or a program. You it's, can't even Google it, George. You can't even Google it. Yeah, but you know that we're in a we're in a time. You know, I don't know if you know about the fantastic. Um, it's South by Southwest has just happened over in Texas where they collate all the, you know, information on um, the statistics in terms of neuroscience, in terms of technology, yep. um, artificial intelligence, and it kind of gives you all the information on what's going on in the world. And statistically, we're at a point now where we're able to connect more than ever before, and yet we have never been more disconnected. Correct. And so... You know, what, what you talked about, you said it's interesting that we need other human beings to connect and we can't get it. That's what we're made to do. You know, chuck the technology. All we ever want to do is connect with another human being. The only people that really isolate are when they are trying to get innate wisdom and just to stop the noise mm. and or they are fearful of something yeah, and, right. and, and are t take, taking themselves away to protect, mm. apart from the few that are just crazy batshit. So, <laughs> but the point I'm making is we desire connection and yet oh, we, we have so much ego we're afraid of sharing. And I think the important word there is, and there's so much out there, you know, like the likes of Brene Brown and her amazing TED Talks, is about vulnerability. One of the things about the documentary Be Here Now is that anyone can watch it and to be privy to a man showing his strongest and most finest moments to his most vulnerable moments to literally saying goodbye to his children and going from the Adonis to the skeletal cat passing away in front of your eyes. That is vulnerability in its essence. I couldn't be more vulnerable in front of you than you see in that film. And when we share our vulnerability, and I don't just mean like, you know, another bloody Facebook post about what you had for dinner or you had a hard, you know, your boyfriend dumped you, but you really show that in a, in a way that allows somebody else to go, oh, shit, I feel exactly the same way. You don't even have to talk about it. It creates that trust and that connection mm. that we instantly feel connected heard, supported. And that's one of the remarkable things about the documentary. And, and I say this without ego because I can say and watch it, is that you're very, it's very unusual to see that vulnerability exposed of a young virile man. Mm. And it gives a lot of other men permission to go, wow, that's actually really inspiring to share a bit of yourself. I'm going to talk to my mate or I'm going to talk to my son about things that are really going on. You know, we're at a time where male suicide is at its highest. Mm -hmm. We've got young guys, we've got men your age who are not able to provide in the way they think they're supposed to provide for their family who are literally recently hanging themselves on a football pitch down in a public area. There is something wrong there. And that's about not being able to share or having a place to share what's going on for you. So it's... it's uh, I I went to a breakfast with uh, Patch Adams, the mm, clown doctor, yeah. and he said we're 
we're in the epidemic of loneliness. Uh, absolutely. Because everybody goes yeah. into their little houses and yeah. they Google stuff and they watch Facebook and they do all of that and they don't connect mm. because they don't have to anymore because they yeah. can go into their little yeah. box and and so he says it's the epidemic of loneliness, which, is, yeah. which I think is pretty true. Which is so crazy because it, it doesn't have to be that way. No, which... because there's more of us now as well. Yeah, yeah. And there's more people that are talking about connecting. Mm. So but al but yeah. also, you know, I walk down the beach in the morning with friends that are from Sydney, and I'm obviously originally from the UK, and I would say good morning to about 100 people, and they're like, jeez, you know everybody. And I'm like, I don't know everyone. I just say hello, and I just speak to everyone within reason. And that's where connection starts. I think we're so afraid of that. And with the, you know, as much as I love it, with the likes of Instagram where we look, and Facebook, but particularly Instagram now in in the, the young, we're looking and we're going, oh, my God, that life looks so fantastic or that body looks so fantastic or look how cool we're in. My life is so crap. I'm so fat. I, this isn't... and. None of it's true. Mm. And so I think the thing about creating spaces and making movies like we did or, or this fantastic podcast that you guys are recording, exposing real people mm. and creating the opportunity for real people connect to connect is what will actually save our Planet. crazy culture. Well, I, you well, know? I, I think um, that's what we're getting most about our podcast mm. is people coming back saying it's fantastic you're talking to real people normal people not stars for mm. instance not mega superstars talking about their next album or whatever mm. um, and that was George and my intention was to meet people like you, you mm. or, or you know and, and I've, I certainly I'm I'm excited because we got to do this mm. you know to me it's therapy as How well. How am I getting to see a topless? That's not impressive. You, you, it's more like you literally looking at man's pecs. You'll get to see us. My topless. rib cage is bigger than my boobs. You know, it's fair, it's fair. You'll you, get to see us topless, and our boobs are bigger. I'd say. You know, you know. But I just wanted to say, but so we don't lose the essence. Is though, and I want to going back to the documentary here. Is mm. that, and and I don't mean to be serious. Be here now is about even though Andy did become a superstar, even if it was for but for five minutes. Yeah. It's about ordinary stories shared create mm -hmm. extraordinary results, yeah. right? Yeah. Our story was not unusual. I just lost my husband to cancer. My entire family didn't get burnt in a fire or starved to death. Mm. I lost my beautiful husband to cancer and joined the club. Mm. The point is, is that by sharing an ordinary story, extraordinary things are happening. Yeah. And that's what I love about what you guys do and the importance of people standing up and connecting because that's what makes the difference. And George only heard one thing in your whole hour and four minutes that we've spoken was topless. That's all he heard. <laughs> <laughs> he mentioned it three Do times. Do you know what? You know, <laughs> I've had, heard two things. I'm a lover of ancient history, so Spartacus. I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I have to ask a question yes. around, around that show. Okay, yeah. so before I even knew you or, or anything about Andy, yes. I consumed the whole first season in one weekend. And, and I thought the lead actor carried that, that show. Like mm. he carried it so well. Mm. And it was and it and it played at my heartstrings because I love ancient history and I always mm. I always thought what was Spartacus like as a person? Mm. I guess mm. visually that was the closest I got to it. My question is, when they found the other lead actor mm, it, Lovely Liam. It didn't seem to 
for me, in, in any way, um, in any case, it didn't seem to have the same impact mm. as as Andy. I mean, Andy for me carried the mm. the first season. He was the the man, and he truly was Spartacus. But the the second iteration was not so Spartacus for me. Now I don't remember. I didn't know anything about it. What mm-hmm. happened, to Andy? Mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, season two, someone knew. Oh, what happened? Mm. Didn't know. Your perspective. Still going? Is the show still going? No, it was always going to go to three seasons. Three? I thought it was six. It was supposed to go for six. No, oh. no. Well, no. Once Andy passed away, it was originally going to go. That the decision was made to go for three seasons, including the prequel that they made to fill the gap between Andy's treatment between season one and season two, um, which. Um, was very, very supportive of them. Look, my take on it is this, is that you just said, I think, four times in in that brief statement, for me. For me, he was this. For me, he represented this. For for me. me. And that is exactly what it is. For some, they experience a connection with Andy Mm. that... um, uh, what's the word, gave gave Spartacus the eternal connection with being Andy. For, for many, many others, they love, absolutely love Liam and the way he became Spartacus. And then there's this third camp that really acknowledged that they both did an absolutely terrific job. Sure. Because, you know, part of Andy's journey made people love him even more. Mm. You know, they, the, the story of Spartacus in terms of the history is a man who put his own if you like, happiness aside, to honour other men. Mm. And Andy died of cancer. So it, it added to people's connection with Spartacus and Andy morphing into one. Yeah, you know, right. like yeah, it literally there are people that are talking, have made Andy the real Spartacus, Spartacus even yeah. though he's a historical ca- character in their relationship. You know, it goes back to what we make it mean in sure. our own minds. Sure. And, you know, can you imagine having to take on a role from somebody that people loved who died of cancer? I mean, can you imagine what that was like for Liam? Very difficult. You know, I know that everybody, cast and crew on the set, it was painfully difficult to begin with when they first started shooting that season two. And I just think they did the most terrific, remarkable and supportive job. And, you know, let's remember we're talking about a TV series here and that everybody's on their own little journey. You know, Liam evolving his career, Andy becoming an actor, um, you watching thousands, millions of people watching that show, going away feeling, you know, virile and strong and powerful in their own Spartacus mode or whatever. (laughs) The point is, is that everything serves a purpose. And so the way I look at it, because you asked me more from what my take is, is uh, that I find it, repugnant and revolting the posts and the opinions that people like to have and put out there publicly about people in the media you know people horrible things were written about Liam like horrible things that are written about my girlfriend who is the partner of another you know very successful man and I used to get letters all the time from various different Andy fans saying we're not sure why Andy's with you because in weird translation, because he's so handsome and you're not pretty and all sorts of hilarious things. So my point, gorgeous man, is this. We all have our opinion on who should be and shouldn't be doing things. And I choose to just go with take what you can and acknowledge what that person is trying to give and let the rest go. No, I, I 
concur wholeheartedly. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't. I don't. Uh, in fact, I don't read um, people's responses. I think. I think one of the, on a personal level, I think one of the one of the downsides to the internet. It's given everyone a voice mm. when not everyone should have a voice. Mm. That's my belief. Um, so I try and stay away from that bad, those bad vibrations or those negative sure, vibrations yeah. as much I as never possible. Read any of yeah. that stuff. But um, but I found it remarkable when I read or heard you just early in the interview say that he he was an introvert, like he was someone that I found I f like I can't my head can't compute that mm. because he wasn't an introvert the way I saw him. And he wasn't. He became. He was. We swapped. He went, you know, when I had the babies and, and sort of humbled back and realised that actually for the next chapter was going to be about pushing and propelling Andy's evolution, I became much more humble and, and allowed the introvert in me, you know, the little girl that would play for hours by herself travelling and not needing to connect with others. And Andy became the extrovert that was in him that had been, if you like, a little bit masked and... Um, caged if you like because he grew up in a very very humble lovely but very humble father moved to a new tiny town an island and didn't really know anyone so it was all about not standing out so mm. inside Andy wasn't an introvert but his behavior and his patterns of behavior were making him be that way which is why there was mm. such a misalignment which is why when he got that opportunity he burst to life right yeah. There is a funny quick story that I want to tell you, and I have this photo, um, which I, I have never released to the public, but you see little bits of it. Jai Courtney, who played Varro in the first series, who is the, my children's godfather and a gorgeous human being and has really done... He's done phenomenally He well. is doing phenomenally well. He's just about to play Macbeth in June and July down in Melbourne, for oh, those wow. of you that don't know, so book your tickets. They're selling out fast. He and Andy, on the day they got their prosthetic penises had the most hilarious experience they're, they're both there <laughs> i want you to imagine this i want you to picture this jai being extremely huge and tall and andy being a little less tall and and of you know normal stature because of the nature of certain rules and regulations what was filling their loincloths was something else other than just <laughs> their own. In case, in case the loincloths shifted to the side, and it's like a, it's like the females. If you see, you see the the oh, really? fuzzy part at the front. That's actually not their own. It's oh, actually a merkin, which is something merkin, that you yeah, that you merkin. stick on. Yeah, right. Now, I've never heard of them. But what I want to tell you, just to leave you with some humour, so that it's not too heavy and there's a bit of joy, <laughs> is that I have one of my favourite photographs ever is of Jai and Andy standing there with them both in fits of giggles, in their full outfits, you know, gladiatorial outfits. And, you know, they both look like two schoolboys, but in the bodies of men. And they're amazing. standing there laughing because Jai, for some reason, has been given what looks like a horse's willy-sized <laughs> prosthetic penis. And Andy is standing there, which looks like the crap carrot you'd put out for the reindeer to pretend at Christmas time. And so they're standing well, he was there. was a bigger man. <laughs> and, and Andy was like, what is this about? I'm the lead and I got the small willy. Surely that was a joke. <laughs> well, it's... Hey, George, if that was the case, you'll be able to play Sparty. <laughs> <laughs> God. So... <laughs> To finish off, the song you chose, yeah. why that song? 
Why this song? Because <laughs> is it this or that? Anyway. Why this and that? Well, this is it by an Icelandic band. Is that what is that what you say? Yeah, Icelandic. Yeah, I think so, um, yeah. Called Kaleo. Yeah. They're an incredibly talented young bunch of guys, and when you hear his voice, I assumed it would be some incredibly big, yeah. sexy black guy with this voice that speaks a million lives lived. And when I Googled them, I saw this tiny, skinny, young little white dude, Icelandic white dude, belting out this and playing the guitar. And I saw these real musicians and I, I saw what I had judged to be something else be something completely different. And what I love about them is they're not what you expect. And that's what life is. It's not what you expect. If you make a judgment about it or you make an assumption, you miss out. So it's about listening for more than you just think. And it's all about, you know, way down we go. And it's rich and it's complex and it's grabs you by the nether regions and grabs your guts and twists them because it's so rich and raw. And instead of feeling sad and melancholy, it's a bit like storm riding. Mm. I listen to this song and I'm like, bring it on, whatever it is. It's a great song. Vashti, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you, Vashti. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. I, I'm actually looking forward to listening back to it because then if there is any edits, I'll be able to edit, but I'll get to listen to it it's in its entirety, which I'm excited about, with all the other bits. Thank you, Vashti. Thank you for having me. Oh, Father, tell me, do we get what we deserve? Oh, we get what we deserve And where down we go
So when 